You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Shutdown Fullcast. It's the internet's only college football podcast. You can look for others. It's just us. It's too bad. Got a good NFL podcast that you can listen to by our friends over at uh, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. But otherwise, it's just us, y'all. Hey, you, you know what I want to talk about this week? Because I got feelings. I'm sure you, I'm sure you got them too. They're deep in my soul because they're about my country. Are you about to start singing? If tomorrow things were gone, work for all my life, had to start again. Just the soccer team, my wife. My soccer team of wives. <laughs> my soccer team of wives. Thank my lucky stars to be living here today. That's the version of Big Love I want for a reboot. Hey, Spencer, how many stripes are in the American flag? There's 13 on the flag. Are those represent the 13 original colonies of the United States of America? No, it's goals against Thailand. Interesting. Who we've always been at war with. More problematic. More problematic. Yeah, the United States team scored 13 goals. I think if you can say that this podcast is in favor of certain things and find certain things to be beautiful, right? Fighting. Fighting. Uh, mascots fighting. I'm big on that, right? I'm big on... Jaunty uh, violence. Yeah, I'm big on shots of random Americans in the stands. Usually during blowouts, but not always. Balls. For me, football might have peaked when there was a like televised brawl at the end of a relatively meaningless arkansas mississippi state game back in i believe 2015 yeah moments like that golden tate jumping into the band 
Yeah, Golden Tate jumping into the Michigan State band. The Golden Tate Warriors. <laughs> hitting hitting six pointers and then jumping into the stands to the hey, tune they, of they were the ones what told us this was Sparta. I can't find it anymore, but the internet used to have a copy of that set to total eclipse of the heart in slow motion. Oh, I like the one set to sail. Turn around. The one to sail anything to sail is good. Yeah. I think you can set most any treasured beat down to sail. We would have to do a lot of loops of sale, though, to cover uh, that particular soccer game. What makes them so good? I don't know. Like with the like the United States beating down Thailand was so good. You could make a ranking of all the goals as our own Harry Lyles did. In order of rudeness. Yeah. In order of rudeness. For me, for me, it was any of Carly Lloyd's. (laughs) She had five of them. I would like to shout out a friend of the program, longtime reader, Matt T, who suggested during, uh, what day are we recording? Yesterday's three nothing blanking of chili that we just give Carly Lloyd a sword. (laughs) He did not suggest what would happen after that, but I support this on or off the field. Permit Carly Lloyd to carry a sword at all times. Texas A&M gets a sword. Yeah. They do. They do. Did, Did it help them? In certain situations against certain teams, like, I don't know. I'm just going to, like, play my hand a little here. Going back 16 years, did it help them to 2003? Oh, no. No, it definitely did not. But we're not talking about that. Not yet, no. We will. We will. All right. Oh, we will. Because I want to talk about beatdowns, which, uh, from a philosophical perspective, I don't even think we need to roundtable this. If you don't like it, stop it. If you don't, because you know who couldn't stop? Thailand, Indonesia. Indonesia couldn't stop Thailand in a qualifier last year when Thailand beat down the noble archipelago of Indonesia 13 to 0 by the exact same score. That happened. You know the key to a beatdown that the traditional media will find satisfying? You have hmm. to apparently you have, you have to put men in it. Well, yeah. That's a big part of it. But you also have to be business-like about it. Like, mm. whenever Bama beats some un, like s- some s- Sunbelt team that they're way overmatched and they win by 50 and Nick Saban's all grumpy and there are a lot of execution mistakes. Like, I think we're okay with the fact that we just saw another team get slaughtered because... There is a like this is joyless business. This is how this is how sausage gets made. And this sausage factory, it's all gummed up. But if you have fun doing it for some reason that fucks it up, I don't really understand it. I'll be honest. I think is it that the the big performative oh we should have beaten them way worse thing sort of implies mercy in a way like we weren't at our best there's that but also like the John Wick films are very different if he's smiling and laughing the whole time. You know, <laughs> like now I'm that's just... a very different movie going experience. Oh, yeah. What if Keanu's character from Always Be My Maybe was just John Wick? <laughs> Which, by the way, Keanu filmed Always Be My Maybe on a shooting break from John Wick 3. John, You can Frick. tell. Yeah, you can tell. No, he didn't. In- no, he really did that. No, I believe you. Like, you that's can the... kind of tell that. <laughs> this sounds like the thing I would make up, but no. I think he just wore the clothes from... John Wick. No, that was actually the, okay, back up. Our friend Alex Papadimus, who just wrote a a GQ profile of Keanu that is excellent that you should go read. Uh, It's basically Keanu Reeves has a cold 
and I mean that as a compliment. Um, that that's he's actually wearing in the movie the new clothes that Tom Ford had created for him, uh, like around that GQ shoot. God, that's there's layers here. Just a stunt. The internet's only Keanu scholarship podcast. We don't get to do that in sports. It's not like Gene Chizik can roll up and be like, oh, "I'm wearing this jacket. It was custom made for me." He at, should. At you Under know Armour. Matt Brown does that shit. <laughs> it's in North Carolina. I'm wearing this Nike blazer. It was made by a gentleman named Dave. It was made by child slaves in Bangalore. For me. Just for me, Mac Brown. <laughs> Thank you. You can tell because I wrote Thank my you. name in Sharpie on it. Yeah, that's... I don't know. I don't get it either. I think this is just some temperamental thing where, you know, if I sit down on the couch and I have the caloric beat down, right, where I just decide... I'm going to eat this entire bag of whatever, right? I'm the, am I supposed to feel bad about it afterwards? Right. I could, but I'm going to do it again probably in a couple of months. So guess what? I, I might as well celebrate it. My favorite, I might as well be happy my, with it. My favorite argument that gets trotted out is children are watching this. What are you teaching children? The alternative is that the United States beats Thailand 13-0 and everyone's having a bad time. I don't know what that's supposed to teach children in the alternative. Like, hey, sometimes like things are just bad all around and you should not uh, take joy even when it's presented to you. Sorry. I th- Listen, it's called the Women's World Cup. It's not called the Ladies World Cup. It's true. Although. Also, I thought that considering everything, like think about how you were reacting at home. Like we were, uh, who was, we, we were having some kind of editorial meeting last week while this game was going on. And at one point I started going through my notes and looked up and had missed two goals. <laughs> and and we had this, we had this all on Slack. Cause I was like, ha ha, six to nothing. And Ryan was like, Holly, it's eight to nothing. And I was like, ha ha. And I looked up, but Remember how much trouble we had keeping our own faces and voices straight on that video conference call? You're asking them to play this incredibly exhausting game on international television on the biggest world stage for their sport, but also um, keep your facial muscles in a in a prescribed configuration right? Uh, for, for as you sport, are bringing home glory for your country, if you the, would. For the sport that most people are only paying attention to once every four years. Please. God. Be, be, be circumspect. God. Like, I... Honestly, I would have peeled off my own face and thrown it into the crowd like a frisbee if I had been on the field for that. I, I thought they did it. I, I thought they were very restrained considering. I do think children should not watch that. They should not watch people peel off their own faces and throw them around like frisbees. We I let children watch the Discovery Channel all the time. Let me, let me put it this way, right? If you are not doing everything you can to beat the opponent at every single second of the game, then what are you doing? Yeah. What what are what are we doing? What if we hadn't finished the drill at the Battle of Yorktown? Mm-hmm. What then? I you know think, it's un- I don't think you know, Thailand was at that. You know what's unsporting? Unsporting is stabbing Hessians in their tents on Christmas Day. But we're we're speaking English right now because we did that. That's right. Yavol. We probably would have been speaking English anyway. But my point is, the beat him down is the thing of beauty. The beat him down, right, to use Bomani Jones' term, or your average beat down, the generic non-trademarked one. I should do that one. That's the Costco version, right? Yeah, yes. It's the Kirkland version. If nothing else, the, we're the Kirkland podcast. Yeah. Whoop, whoop him up. Yeah, the old whoop him up. Whoop him up. 
and beat him down. The 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 old the old Rongi Brook. The old the hell. <laughs> the uh, just a good old fashioned slaughter. It's the people start watching it. Like I love it when on a Saturday of college football, uh, there's a sudden bird dogging of oh oh you gotta here you should y'all. Go, go over and watch this because uh, things are going real bad like over in a here. a disaster movie when they always show a big video screen in a place like Times Square and heads just turning one by one. <laughs> yeah. Watch and witness and wonder. <laughs> right. I love that because Max Kellerman once said boxing was the most uh, compelling sport in the world. And when the guffaws were offered in uh, response, he said, no, think about it. You got four corners, right? You got two people playing tennis over here on this street corner and you got two people playing soccer over here on this street corner and you got two people playing basketball over here on this street corner. And then on the fourth one, somebody just turns and yells, hey, there's a fight. That's kind of what happens in a proper beatdown is that everyone goes, oh, y'all. Is boxing like the nesting doll sport that's our favorite part of other sports but lives inside them? Hmm. I think so. It's like the spice. Yeah. Right, that goes in everything and makes like it better. much as I wish that basketball games would just break out in the middle of other sports, we don't see that. Yeah, but that's why a beatdown is so compelling. Mm-hmm. Is that it contains yeah, boxing? Boxing is the caramel nougat center of all our favorite parts of sports. It contains a lot of things that people inevitably, when there's a beatdown, I think it's so incomprehensible to people that they have to resort to other things. Right, they have to go. I really can't understand something this lopsided and bad, so I'm going to talk about manners. What am I going to tell my children? Tell them to be better at soccer. <laughs> or not to play. That's yeah. an option. Just get off the field, man. Yeah. Tell them to take up golf. You thought about esports? Nah, yeah. you'll get your ass kicked there too, man. Whew. There's dramatic beatdowns there. Don't, yeah, there's no, there's no polite margin of victory in esports. Are you insane? At any rate, the women's national team, America's only soccer team, uh, is through to the knockout stage. And we are here today to celebrate our favorite beat downs in America's beautiful game. Yeah. It, Jason, would you would you like to go first? So uh, I think on the subject of those head turning type beatdowns, the games where this is awful and everyone is watching it. The most recent one was 2016 Michigan 78, Rutgers 0. <laughs> Just mentioning that as one that people likely very easily remember as sort of an example of the type of game we're talking about. Just mm-hmm. a complete grotesque beatdown in every direction. The and, worst and loss we'll by an FBS team. Yeah, the, the, we'll come back to Rutgers football in a few minutes. Rutgers is frequently mentioned on lists like this. This was the worst loss by an FBS team this millennium, so... That's kind of the standard for this. Um, one I wanted to mention was this was the, as far as I can tell, the only time in the past century that a team that was top level, considered top level at the time and now gave up 100 or more points. Um, 1918 NC State, of course, lost 128 to nothing to Georgia Tech. Mm. Since then, uh, it's mostly been lower-level teams or teams that were like UCLA when it was a baby program gave up 100 points, but like it's baby UCLA, you know, uh, it's like it's like baby Thanos. UCLA. Uh, this was 1968, Houston 100, Tulsa six. <laughs> uh, Did and- they go for two? <laughs> they did not in fact uh Houston, buddy, buddy they lost by that many points they didn't even go for one <laughs> 
So Houston toward the end was sitting on 93 points. And obviously at this point, you know, coaches are like, how the fuck do I get these guys to stop scoring? They've been trying to stop scoring for like a whole quarter now. They're sitting on 93. The crowd's bloodthirsty. The crowd wants 100. Um, And this comes from an ESPN story. Wade Phillips was a senior linebacker on this team. Uh, And he said that he doesn't really know how the first team defense ended up back on the field with two minutes left, (laughs) but it did. (laughs) And uh, yeah, they ran back a punt for the 100th point. I just love that. That's the the easiest touchdown to not. Oh, my God. That's the easiest one. You just sort of run straight ahead. (laughs) <laughs> the uh also elsewhere on this roster was someone who is less of a folksy philosopher uh uh human psychologist witty type compared to wade phillips wade phillips who of course 50 years later would tweet it's expensive agency not free agency that is a true <laughs> that is a true learned wit and scholar uh, also in this game dr phil was a freshman linebacker for tulsa wow <laughs> You decided so, you decided to lose by over ninety points to uh, SMU. How's that so, going for so you? So you have you know Wade Phillips, d- true genius scholar. And you have Doctor Phil, man who plays one on TV. Also, side note in this, Doctor Phil was a freshman in nineteen sixty eight, uh, which means he wasn't eligible to play in this game. Lucky for him, he didn't graduate for eight years. Then good, you good add in him, uh, master's and doctorate. That's 11 years in college, which is more than Herm Edwards to this day, including all of his coaching experience. Wait, is he an actual doctor? Uh, yes. Of what? I don't know. I didn't write that part down. <laughs> Losing. I know he he oh. went to Tulsa for football, uh, transferred to Midwestern State for like near a fucking decade, and then got a doctorate. We got to look and see if Midwestern State also lost games by 100 there. Like if Dr. Phil's fault, like if Dr. Phil was just a magnet. His for, doctorate is in psychology, but he's not a licensed psychologist. I bet it's according I bet, to Vox.com. I bet it's a massage therapy doctorate. And he oh, just it's got to be scribbled it out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. His MA is in experimental psychology. Well, sure. He did well, his let's, dissertation. Let's you, wait, 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 wait. He what happens to the human mind exposed to 100 points of Yeah, offense. exactly. Yeah. He did his dissertation on telling people to pray away their rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. How's that working for yeah, you? Yeah, he went to North Texas. <laughs> I am closing this tab. You know what I learned over the weekend? I learned that North Texas has one of the country's premier opera programs. Oh, yeah. Their oh, music, they do. Their music programs. an amazing yeah. music hub. Yeah. Yeah, I know a guy. It's like Austin that hasn't been ruined by the tech community. I know a guy who uh, went there to study jazz drumming in the middle of Denton, Texas, and went. But he had the most Texas thing happen to him. He got pulled over by a cop, and the brake. I think there was some brake issue with the trailer, the U-Haul they were holding. So as the cop was sitting there giving him a ticket, the brakes had already overheated, set everything he owned on fire. So the cop's like, "Well, here I'm going to give you a warning." And uh, wow, everything you have is on fire. <laughs> your your car looks a lot like 1968 Tulsa. <laughs> Losing by many, many points. Tell me, do you have Dr. Phil in the back there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweaty. It's warm he's back a here. Big, he's a big guy. The trunk is full of Dr. You Phil. Have to, you have to decide whether the fire is going to burn you or not. That's up to you. Time to pray away the car fire. <laughs> How's that working for you, Phil? It's not going well. Be honest. Yeah, that's Houston set some people on fire. They were also uh when they, they played SMU. 
in the probation year of, I believe, 1989. Yeah, that's that's another good one when when they said, yeah, we were trying to run the clock out. No, they threw like two bombs to open the second half. <laughs> oh, what a delightful tradition. Uh, who wants to go next? I can if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warm up here. I got, I got mine ready to go. So, so I'm all focused on conference championship beat em downs because I, I, any beat down is good. I particularly like when they happen at the conference championship level. A, because in theory, this is where they should not happen. These are teams that have made it through the gauntlet. Not always, as we'll see in some of these examples. Uh, and, and should not get blown out. And secondly, because the stakes are fucking huge. Like, even if you're not talking about a team that's contending for uh, number one or two in the BCS or a big bowl game or the college football playoff, although if you win a conference championship, you're almost always talking about at least a big bowl game. Um, like, there's a lot on the line. Just the idea that you can you can win your conference and you can be on top. So I think I actually want to start with the 2014 Big Ten Championship game. We've talked about this Ohio State team recently, um, but we kind of skipped over this game. This was uh, a 59-0 win over Wisconsin. Uh, Spencer, what start was this for Cardale Jones? Mm, this should be start two. Start one. It's start, start one? One. It's his first start. He came, he came in against Michigan. Yes, he didn't start the Michigan game. He came in towards the end of the Michigan game. Yes, okay. So start one for Cardale. He goes 12 of 17 for 257 yards and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And his, his first two touchdowns are that Tim Tebow bullshit where you jab step towards the line like you're keeping it. And then mm-hmm. you rock back and throw a touchdown pass. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a delightfully dick move. Um. This Wisconsin team, on the other hand, just like they ran two plays in Ohio State territory in the first half. One of them was a pick. Were they good ones? <laughs> the other one was an incompletion on the last play of the half. They only got inside the Ohio State 30 for one play all game. That was a sack fumble that they recovered back at their own 43. And, like, no, was this a top to bottom good Wisconsin team? No. Joel Stave was the quarterback for this game, and he goes 17 of 43 with three picks, no touchdowns, obviously, and less than 200 yards. But they had Melvin Gordon, who had, you know, set for a little bit at least the rushing record against what was number 11 Nebraska. And, like, they had, they had beaten some good teams. They had hung with LSU early in the year. No, I think they end up beating three ranked teams on the year. And they just got destroyed by car like a, a, a quarterback that they had nothing on and it's not like he ran all over them either he had a couple runs in this game but by and large the plan was cardale's gonna throw it some but he's gonna make good decisions which he did overwhelmingly well and zeke just ran through wide open like he has 220 yards on 20 carries it's obscene what happened in this game, and Wisconsin just was, like, not in it at all. It's it's just disgusting, and it's beat him downness. Beat him down a Yeah. <laughs> the beat at Cardell had 
The beatitudes. The beat. The the beatitudes say that when you have a quarterback who only has seventeen attempts all season, well, that's as many as he gets against Wisconsin, because <laughs> he also attempted seventeen passes in the game. And yeah, he was throwing. He was throwing open too. By the way, Wisconsin could not keep up. This was not one of those uh, subtle beatdowns where you go, ah, you know, like this this blowout was. A little closer than the experts think. That no. sentence wouldn't come out of your mouth. Your body would reject it. You know you're watching a good beatdown when you get conspiracy theories shortly after, such as Gary Anderson, the Big Ten made him throw this game. to get the, <laughs> to See, he quit football. See, he left for Oregon State. See, there, it's witness protection. They're smuggling him off to Oregon State. See, he quit. It, it does not help that I, I am pretty sure I remember Baylor and TCU fans being like, well, you know, if Wisconsin upsets Ohio State, I am the game's over. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> my entire case depends on uh my entire case depends on man bites dog. Yeah, you had you had TCU like Yeah, well we beat uh we beat Kansas State pretty good today too. So I guess I guess two teams won really run really big. It'll be hard to pick one of them. Don't worry, son. Your medical care is in the hands of a Wisconsin quarterback. Is it Russell Wilson? No. No, it is not. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, I'm not getting anywhere quickly, am I? <laughs> unless, you, unless this is one of those air evacuations. If I'm moving by ground and it's a Wisconsin quarterback, God. it's going to be a while. It was weird, too, because the, the, this Ohio State defense was good, but it wasn't, like, crushingly good. Like, Cincinnati moved the ball on this team, and so did Michigan State, and so did Rutgers. Like, it was, oof. It was, I... I, I I think Urban Meyer, this is after, if I recall correctly, the, the year after the, or maybe it's the year before the pizza, the pizza game. The sad pizza yeah. against Arkansas. Yeah. I think against, it's after. It's yeah. after. That, the, that it's was, after. That was, it was, it was like bracketed by Michigan State. Right, right, right. So I think the pizza game. I think this is the year after the pizza Michigan yeah, State so I, game. I, I'm feeling this is pizza revenge. And why, and yeah, and, and it sucks that like Wisconsin had to see. Pizza turned it on itself. Its old friend Pizza came back. <laughs> oh no, we're defeated by cheese. <laughs> Beer we're turned on us. No! We're drowning in cheese. No. Oh. I have a color a couple other conference champ ones, but I wanna I wanna pass the pass the talking stick. I have the talking stick at the moment because I think any big well, you mentioned Baylor and TCU fans going, hey. You know, if if Wisconsin had okay, if anybody should appreciate a proper mathematically improbable, statistically aberrant beatdown, it would be someone from from you know the Big Twelve. One because a lot of those schools actually teach industrial slaughter as a major, so you think they'd appreciate it? They'd be like, ah, the old assembly line and bolt gun. Good job, Oklahoma versus literally anybody from two thousand to two thousand ten. Yeah, or you know, maybe they would remember that that generally that's the part of the country where you know talent differentials are a little weird. You might just have two or three real good players on a team, and uh, everyone else might be kind of eh, and then suddenly you got to play Kansas and it's November and uh, no one on Kansas can actually keep up on foot with anyone on your team. And whoop, there you go, got like a fifty-three to six game just out of nowhere that just happens. Or this. That you can remember that a conference game in 2003 resulted in one of the worst point differentials in the 21st century involving 
two programs, both with, you know, national titles at one point in their history, and both who had just played a 30-26 game that went the other way the year before. We're going to talk about 77-0. Jesus. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 77-0, which is the score of the 2003 Texas A&M-Oklahoma game. This really, this should have been a loss. It should not have been this. Again, previous year. Thank you uh, for clarifying that it should have been a loss. It we've should run, have been. Oh, we, no. We've run hey. the numbers, and we conclude that Oklahoma hey. should have won this game. Wait, wait. Okay, so in the way of, in the same vein of lifelong Big 12 and or Big 10 enthusiasts, Nebraska, are we allowed to... Uh, Add this blood to the SEC ledger. The yeah. Big Ten, the Big Ten Network certainly should. Like instead of being like, oh, let's look at great Maryland basketball. No, they should just be like, let's look at some SEC fails here. Seventy-seven zero. That's, that's fantastic on you now. Programming, and I don't know why they don't pursue it. I think the Big I Ten. Should... I don't know why the Longhorn Network wouldn't show this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Andy, are you listening? We got some ideas. Just, just show this one and be like, wow, look at Texas beating the hell out of A and M. It's astonishing. Just every time AM gets a five star commit, just just schedule this one up on the Longhorn Network. <laughs> just rotate it with the Rose Bowl. Or just deny it, right? It could be like, why are somebody calls the board, right? Like old school calls the board. Why are y'all showing this Oklahoma AM game? What game? We're not. The Rose Bowl's on, sir. It's the Vince Young Rose Bowl. Maybe it only makes itself visible to you. Yeah, it's the Brigadoon of games. This is Dennis Franchoni's first year at AM. Uh, you may not remember Dennis Franchoni, or you may have blocked him from your memory. Both entirely possible Dear and respectable. Franchi, Franchi. He uh, he left. This is how you know that you're not dealing with somebody that can either be trusted or uh, necessarily predicted. Uh, he left Alabama for a And M. That's the reverse Bear Bryant. You don't do that. That's not you. You leave a And M. To go to Alabama. You, you don't do the reverse. All right. Particularly if you want the kind of guaranteed success that seems to follow everybody at Alabama. Like, remember, even Mike DeBose won double digit games there and beat Florida twice in a year. I'm just beating every Alabama fan of that. It happened. But he leaves and they're four and five going into this game. They're, they're okay offensively, defensively. Um, they're toilet, they're butt, they're awful. They are toilets are useful. That's true. Toilets People can, like butts. Toilets can at least, you know, move things away. They can at least uh yeah, that's not happening. The defense is is not great. And they're facing an undefeated OU team who is coming off of uh destroying Oklahoma State uh by almost sixty points a couple of weeks prior. Oklahoma should win, but it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't. And this game is made so much worse, by the way. Like when you think, oh, Man, when I think of legendary blowouts, you know, most people don't think of like Michigan Rutgers, right? They they don't, unless they're a Michigan fan or unless they're people like us who see a quality beatdown and just run to it and go, we must document this important moment in college football history. <laughs> Every single fullback touchdown to get them up 71 to nothing. No, most people don't unless it comes on in, you know, a large time slot. Unless it comes on in the middle of a college football Saturday, which unfortunately for Texas A&M, it did. A great way to start off your first year at a university that you will later uh, resign with everyone saying, well, it's about time that happened. 
is to start your your career off against a big conference rival like this by putting up 54 offensive yards on ABC. Mm-hmm. On ABC. <laughs> everyone watching a good way to do a good way to start off things is to get three first downs on the day three how many how many did oklahoma have in response they had two threes you put them together they had 33 first downs to three first downs reggie mcneil couldn't do anything in this game i don't really even know what plays they're calling because they don't get a time for them to develop Long developing plays called against one of OU's better defenses, the one that will get them an appearance in the national title game. Uh, that That's not a good plan. And the more proof in the pudding is this, 63 penalty yards. Did they have more penalty yards than they had offensive yards? Yes. Did they get a whole lot of penalties? No. No. That was low. They had more punts than first downs. Many more. 12 to 3 was the margin. In the second quarter, oh God, the second quarter is just blood. Just blood everywhere. Just a massive, horrible, disgusting 35 point explosion. With not even that many turnovers, you go, oh, there must have been like seven turnovers in this game. Nope. AM had one turnover. That means this was a deliberate, clean, calculated, thoughtful decision to do nothing that day. Absolutely nothing. Yardage, 639 to 54. That'd be 639 for Oklahoma and 54 yards. See, these are the details that really separate a true beat em down from just a good win. Like a good win is a death where you're like, oh, he had a stroke and he died. A beat him down is where you're like, we found three liters of mercury in his stomach and we don't know why. <laughs> Let me tell you now about his gallbladder and where his eyes should be, what we found instead. Like, that's the level of detail you get into. For you know, mercury would person. actually leach out of his stomach uh, and, like, through his skin. That's the kind of knowledge you can only get by going to the University of Tennessee, <laughs> home of the body farm. <laughs> we got corpses! Back to, speaking of corpses, back to this. I'm not done. Mm. It gets worse. The pivotal event in this game is up 77-0 in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma is on fourth and goal, and they are desperately trying not to score. And they hand the ball to their running back. The offensive line basically does like a an up-down. But without the up part, they just flop. Just lay on their bellies. And two... That's kind of cute. Two A&M defenders obligingly tackle the running back and then celebrate. Causing causing open laughter on the Oklahoma sideline. Bob Stoop said of the entire thing, you know, we don't really celebrate. I mean, I believe in being decent to people. He's saying this... He's saying this after beating 77-0 and also after playing Dennis Francione, whose categorization out of the category of people, a little generous. This was a running clock game, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We'll just keep it moving, y'all. Like that, that, the, is, that is the generous part. When was the last running clock game in college football? Was we, it Florida uh, State, Savannah State? Yeah, I think so. There's, when was there's the last one. running clock game that wasn't like a visible tragedy that we had to feel bad about? Hmm. They don't happen. 
Yeah, there's there's one every couple years. Yeah, sometimes and sometimes you'll get. No, I guess it just I guess what like... I'm getting at was has there ever when was the last like P5 on P5 running clock game? Oh, I think it's and not probably... like a war crime like Florida State on Savannah State. I think there's another Oklahoma one from around this time. I don't know if it's before or after, but like this mm. is the this is the gold standard. Yeah, yeah, this is. This is even more bizarre because, a uh, well, final note, and it is the note you'll, I think, hear thrown out most on this, two things. Uh, one, there's a great image that goes with Dennis Francioni in this where it, it says uh, you'll see results and you, you click on images. You're like, okay, let's let's see what we got here. And the shot is of Dennis Francioni on the sidelines with the ABC macro over it that says, you know, 77-0. And I think it says, like, 130 left in the third. <laughs> Just him, him completely expressionless. Always check the timestamps, y'all. It makes it funnier. So much football left. Yeah, yeah, so much football. You just got to sit through this whole thing, don't you? Also, uh, Texas A&M, remember, never got past their own 40. Never. It wasn't like, oh, they didn't get a first down. Nope, they didn't get past their 40, their own 40-yard line the entire game. Oklahoma literally playing, why are you hitting yourself? The entire game with Texas A&M. The single worst. Like, if you look, by the way, like, last thing, if you look at the list, and this will get us to our, our final featured beatdown here. No, it won't. It, I got mine. Yeah, no, it'll, I, I'm segueing. Oh. I'm segueing. Why didn't you say so? I'm, I was trying to. All right. I was, you know, I really like the art that goes into this podcast, like, the seamless, the way you can't really see the connective tissue. We're it's at the, the same desk, so you think this would go smoother. <laughs> I'm working my way. I'm taking the off-ramp to the segue here. So, in the top 20 worst beatdowns of the 21st century. Now this is the thing I was going to say. This is right? my intro. Well, hold on. You're just eating my intro. No, no again, I'm, feeding, again. I'm feeding into it. The craft, this is the, the stagecraft. That go, it's just Remember like, how I said we mm, were coming back to Rutgers? This is the only, this is the only one that involves... This is the only one that involves what I would consider two actual conference rivals. It's like watching a flock of birds decide which way to fly. It's we're like doing watching it. Cirque du Soleil, but everyone has diarrhea. We're getting, but- we're getting there. It's the only one that I, would, I, I think would involve two actual conference rivals, like who might have a competitive stretch, right? The other ones involving Power Five? I would like to point out that if you sort... The worst beatdowns in the 21st century by point differential. There's one team that appears twice <laughs> in this in the losers in the opponent section. There there is one football team, uh, or sorry, one there there's one FBS football team that appears two times. Twice just in the top 14. Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, of of the worst beatdowns of the 21st century. Uh, and that team is Rutgers. But this really isn't about Rutgers. That's not fair. They're the oldest college football team. They're weak. That's why I limited it to the 21st century. <laughs> Just over there knocking the insure can out of their sorry hands. Sorry about your brittle bones fighting Methuselahs. <laughs> All right. Uh, the year was 2001, and West Virginia was bad at football. Um, they were, it was Rich Rod's first season, uh, 
nothing, none of the wheels were spinning yet. They would, they would end the season three and eight uh, with a backyard brawl loss. Uh, and that normally would be rock bottom for the Mountaineers, but uh, 2001 was special and they hit a new low uh, the week before this Rutgers game in a 17-14 loss to Temple, uh, a team the Mountaineers had not lost to since 1984. Pennsylvania's one true college football team. Yes. Yes. Uh, they had uh, rolling in November 3rd uh, to their home game with Rutgers. They had beaten Ohio and Kent State and lost to Boston College, Maryland, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, and Miami. Now, the schedule that year was was not great for West Virginia. Uh, I mean, first of all, you open your season losing at Boston College at noon, 10 to 34, fine. Uh, but Maryland was ranked that year. Virginia Tech was in the top 10. They were coming off a 45 to three loss at Miami, which was number one at the time. Um, but West Virginia in 2001 had one thing going for them. And is that one thing something that you would like to tell us, Spencer? Because you look like real eager right here. Yeah, they were playing Rutgers. Yeah, they were yeah. 2001 Rutgers. Yeah, they got to just, play Rutgers. <laughs> just like, oh, it's like watching two beach volleyball players that just know each other's patterns and rhythms. and just, good, Yeah, yeah. That was a great, word, dig, great dig, Misty. The so, wordless transition. Oh, it's, it's Rutgers, who you remember, this was at the time, this was the Big East. Rutgers had to play all these good teams, too. Rutgers had already lost to Miami and Virginia Tech by a combined score of 111 to nothing to start Big East play. Uh, this was also Greg Schiano's first year on the job. And Rutgers actually at the time wasn't any worse than they were supposed to be. They got trash canned by the two best teams in the conference, but they were trending up uh, at the end of October. They had a series of close losses. They beat Navy two weeks before the West Virginia game. Like they, they were bad, but they were on their way. They, they were, there was movement on their way to something. Uh, also, they lost to Temple thirty to five the previous week. We don't talk enough about two thousand. <laughs> Forgive me for stepping on PAPN's little twinkle toes, but we don't talk enough about two thousand one Temple football on this podcast. Watch, Dude, watch, they're gonna do an hour on it this week now. You know oh, what God. though? Like maybe somebody should have seen this coming because coming because if you lose by the score of thirty to five, that team with five points is the outbreak monkey. It's like international flight i don't know that guy in first class doesn't look so good boy he sure is going to the bathroom a lot oh i might want to keep an eye on him something bad's coming so something bad uh november 3rd 2001 <laughs> rutgers gets on the jersey turnpike and took exit eight straight to hell to hell as in eight turnovers eight turnovers uh, and then they hung a right on State Road 80, as in 80 points. 80 points. Which is the total the Scarlet Light Scarlet Lights, the Scarlet Knights allowed in an 82-7 loss at West Virginia. Uh, the Mountaineers only threw 11 passes all game, had 446 rushing yards, and outgained Rutgers 627 to 177. Um, if I may pluck one moment from this game uh, to just serve it up to you as like a little Ortolan of spite. Uh, this is how badly Rutgers was fucked in this game. West Virginia led 58, nothing just before halftime when two Mountaineers committed personal fouls, one for a late hit, the other for celebration, the extra point 
thus ended up being a 50-yard attempt from between the hashes. And West Virginia made it. <laughs> they kicked, Hell yeah. they kicked a 50-yard West Virginia point. Extra, extra point. Which set off an even bigger celebration. Um, I will tell you that this was my sophomore year of college. I had just moved into my first grown-up apartment. And for the first time uh, in my life, I was watching football without my without my family. You know, I, I grew up watching Virginia football, watching Tennessee football uh, at home with various relations. I left Knoxville at halftime of this game and drove home to watch the second half with my dad. Just so I could roll around on the floor like a baby panda in peace. Um, also, uh, down 73, what did Greg Schiano do? Put together a 15-play, 90-yard touchdown drive with five, <laughs> minutes, right. with five minutes left in the game. That's right. That's where you shout, next, next score wins, and then boom. Uh, meanwhile, West Virginia took the momentum of this massive victory over a conference opponent and lost their last three games in a row. Hell yeah. Which, which just makes it more beautiful for me, right? It's all the fireworks. It's a fireworks barge accident in which nothing was ignited before and nothing is left to ignite after. What are we going to do next week? Ah, back to sucking. <laughs> just heading back to suck town. Uh, um, Jason... You can't possibly out PAPN mentions of 2001 Temple, can you? Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but I can't. Now, go um, I, just, I wanted, to, as, as the only one of us with a with a rooting interest in one of these teams, I just wanted to marinate in that for a little bit. But please, let's go deeper. Rutgers fan, Holly Anderson, you heard it here first. That is the worst thing you have <laughs> ever said to me. You go to hell, Ryan Manny. <laughs> you go to hell and you die. Go ears. Go ears. Thank you. So here's two. Uh, the first one it's slightly longer. The second one's pretty quick. Um, so do we know the the uh, Division Three Minnesota Conference? Uh, I guess it's the Miak. The Miak. Miak. However you say Minnesota accent. It's the one that uh, recently kicked out St. Thomas for beating up everyone else in the Miak too badly. Um, St. Thomas had won basically the conference's director's cups on both the men's and women's side for 12 years in a row. And you see football scores when they play of the likes of 27-0, 59-0, 52-0, 57-7, 51-0, on and so forth, this type of shit. It's St. Thomas and St. John's that just beat the shit out of the rest of the meh very, very badly. Um, but then a funny thing happens. They go to the playoffs. And they play teams that aren't from them here. Uh, and they lose to Mary Harden Baylor. And they lose again the next year to Mary Harden Baylor. Or they lose in the first round to, uh, let's see, North Central College. And this shit happens every year. Um, let's see. The uh, the Johnnies, that's the name of St. John's, a team that two years ago had a 98 to nothing win. The I think it's the closest we've come since 1989 to anyone putting 100 points on another NCAA team. That team has uh, won Division Three titles since 1976. The Tommies, St. Thomas, the team that just got booted from them, they have never come within two touchdowns of a national title. 
they if it's a, it's a great year for the Miak if it's if it's totally dominant champion manages to come to, to get to the quarterfinals, let alone the semifinals. The lesson of the Miak, of course, is never try, never 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 play anybody. When they say the Miak has played nobody, good, don't just 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 settle it amongst yourselves. I also like the uh, the Miak looking at St. Thomas, the team that's just kicked the shit out of it for a decade, and saying, you know what, you think you're so fucking tough. All right, all right, you know, just 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 go prove it. And I, I don't know how you 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 handle this, knowing that you're no longer going to win by ninety to nothing. In fact, you're probably going to lose. I like but that's the, fun. I, I, like I like the ultimate lesson of just uh, at, why why try? Why do playoffs? Why try at all? I like the hell's full, so they sent me to the Miak approach here, right? Like, Miak. Well, get out of here. <laughs> Where am I going to go? <laughs> I'm the devil. This is my job. Go somewhere else. I do, I have an honorable mention that's real recent, and I don't. I think people kind of slept. If on you're going to talk about the Florida Michigan bowl game, I swear to God. No, no, no. That was a that was a tight. <laughs> I can't even say it. It was a it was a good fair contest where everyone was on the field who should have been. <laughs> you gator chomped a child. I'm not proud of myself at all, just for the record. It's the last time before that time when you were in the Georgia Dome for a game, you called an elderly woman a Walmart person. She was. She was. I stand by that. Okay. Yeah. The Waltons are rich. That's a compliment. That's that's how he meant it. I'm not proud of telling the truth, but I do. And that's, that's my curse. These are both lies. Just like the U.S. women's national team. Exactly. We're exactly 13 goals better than you and have no choice but to prove it. Also, that lady really was a Walmart person. Uh, so I, you're not too far off by mentioning an Alabama fan. It's just in the neighborhood. Um, Auburn finished last year. Like, this is fresh, y'all. It's super fresh. They finished last year by playing one of, I mean, a, a beatdown that could have been much worse than it actually was. Because if y'all don't remember, the score at the half in the Music City Bowl was 56 to 7. It's the Music City Bowl. I assure you, I don't remember. Nobody remembers. And that's why you have to, that's why you have to like chime in and go, oh yeah, by the way, just remember that Auburn was up 56 7 at the half in the Music City Bowl in Nashville on Purdue. So when Purdue, like, you know, when Purdue gets up and they have like a 93 season next year, 10 and two, maybe they're going into a bowl game. Yeah. It's down the, the talent level. Just keep an eye on it. Cause when it gets, when it gets rolled up in, in the wrong context, right. When they have to escape the yak, <laughs> so to speak, and actually play someone who's been through the gauntlet. Yeah. It could be bad. You, you're misinterpreting that game. Jeff Brom just didn't want the Auburn job, so he was like, "Oh no, look, oh you're much better than us." Oh, no. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. I think this is actually this is actually more like that three and eight West Virginia team because I think after beating Ohio State like that and also beating Indiana, Purdue was like, "Yeah, it's as much as we can hope. That's all we got. It's good, it's good as things can get, boys." What do Beat you think, Ohio Purdue? State. What do you think, Purdue Pete? Implacable stare. That's right, Pete. <laughs> Ditto. That's what that face means. I'm finished. 
<laughs> in the bowling alley. Um, can I drop one more? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So, college football history before World War II is a giant fucking mess. After World War II, it's like things, various institutions and so forth sort of start to align and things start to make sense. Do we know the most lopsided NCAA football game since World War II? Since World War II, no. Okay. So, you know all those little, like, uh, bases and naval stations that started up football teams during World War II, like Iowa pre-flight and all mm-hmm. that shit? Mm-hmm. Some of those got really good, and they finished like nineteen, I think nineteen forty four. A couple of them were in the top ten, but the next season, the war of, of course ends like days before football starts, so they shut them down. Almost all of them. A couple of them keep lingering on for another year or two. Like Merchant Marine kept playing top level football for a little bit longer, um, but apparently one kept going until nineteen forty nine. Newport Naval Training Station, uh, and. I'm just thinking, like most of these these bases, it's okay. You're you're getting in tons and tons of say freshmen in 1944 because of the war, and then by the time they're seniors, this who are, who in the world is still playing football for Newport Naval uh, Newport NCS? Well, whoever they had around was bad enough to lose 125 to zero to UConn. <laughs> That's right. The Connecticut Huskies have accomplished something in the history of college football. They beat the shit out of like some some the last vestiges of World War II's troops. These are like the World War II troops who are still fighting, like who don't know the war is over, you know, like on some remote island in the Pacific, just unaware the war is over. And here comes Yukon to defeat them 125 to nothing. Most teams don't come out of Guadalcanal Stadium with a victory like that. But People don't know that UConn was an Axis power, but they were. That explains the look on the sad Husky's face. I regret <laughs> what, things. What have I done? Yeah, part of the surrender terms. Your, your mascot has to look like he's filled with regret. <laughs>